With the bullseye of the target in mind, we need to examine how we will be able to aim small and miss small. When shooting a bow, one must have the proper equipment. They must know how to pull the arrow back, how to release it, and how to be consistent. Aiming small and missing small does not have to do with shooting a bow. It has to do with us growing as the church. There are things that we need and, and knowledge that is necessary for us to continue to grow in deeper relationship with one another as we continue to reach others for Jesus. The bullseye of the Christian life is living in the likeness of Jesus Christ our Savior. So we must attempt to replicate Christ as we ask the question, how did Jesus cultivate relationships? Let's learn together how we can aim small and miss small. Good morning. So I know, I know three things, I, maybe I know more than three things, but three things I want to share with you, uh, and they're really important, especially considering today. Uh, the first is that for the first time in, since 2019, Kentucky is still in the tournament <laughs> on the second day, uh, and Duke and Kansas aren't. So like that, like that's, that's reason for us to celebrate. Uh, in addition to all the stuff that God is doing here, I, uh, uh, they, they, they tip off at, at 1240, so you know, just, just know that we'll, we'll move this along, right? Um, so we're walking through this, this idea, this conversation, aim small, miss small. And, and last week, Pastor Dustin and myself, we, we set up here and we just had an honest conversation around the whys. Why do we need to meet together? Why is, why is community so important for us? The title of the series comes from, and we talked about this last week, but if you weren't here, we'll just give you a recap, comes from the, the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, and maybe it came from somewhere else before that, but I know it from The Patriot, where Mel Gibson is setting up his son to kill a British soldier, uh, and, and he tells his son, aim small, miss small. And then the concept, I think, means that, that you aim for a smaller target on a much bigger target. So when you're hunting elk, you don't aim for the elk, you aim for a patch of hair on the elk. If you're shooting Coke cans, you don't aim for the Coke can, you aim for uh, the center of the zero or the O in Coke. Aim small, miss small. We believe, I believe, with every fiber of my being that God has given this body of believers a very specific mission for this season. We have something very specifically that he is calling us to do. We are called to equip people, right? As we gather, as we encounter, we are called to equip people, that's us, equip each other to ignite this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church without walls. That is our heart's desire. And God's doing that, and we're seeing it. It's, it, it's, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. One of the ways that we think that we could further this one of the ways that we feel like God uses or tools that God gives us to be able to achieve this is this idea of community, of small group, of small circles of believers gathering together, group of people that are a part of a bigger body of believers, a smaller group that gathers together and, and they do life together. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means, but, but it's this idea of community, doing life together. Now, I said this first service, uh, and, and so I need to preface it, uh, I, I think that we're doing 
uh, in parts and pockets, I think we're doing an incredible job with this. And so if you're currently a part of a small group, if you're currently a part of a small ministry, uh, then, then please, like, hear, hear what I'm about to say and understand that, that this is not directed towards you. And, and Emma had, has done an incredible job over the course of the last two years developing this, uh, but, but I think we can do more. If there's one area, one area in my leadership and ministry that I feel like we've fallen short I use the word failed, and maybe failed isn't uh, the best word. Uh, we've fallen short is this, this idea of community. I think we've done a good job gathering together. I think, I think what we do together is incredible, uh, but, but we, for whatever reason, haven't been able to get a ton of momentum behind creating community in smaller circles. And so for the next two weeks this week uh, and two weeks following, we're just, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about community, why it's important, how we do it, and, and today we're going to talk about maybe some of the reasons why, why we don't do it. So, so why, why is community so important? Now, we said this last week, we're going to revisit it again, so we're going to build off of it. I believe, and I think scripture paints a picture, that there is a direct correlation between the spiritual richness of an individual and their involvement in community. So direct correlation between spiritual richness, and I, I tried to find another synonym. I, I didn't really like that, but, but seemed to be the best one that fixes it. It's not spiritual depth. I think you can go deep in isolation, right? I think you can, you can dive into God's word, and you and him, like, you can go deep. I think you can even mature in isolation. But the richness that, that I think God wants us to have comes from our willingness to, in addition to our time alone with God, doing life together in community. They're correlated. You can have one without the other, but they will never be as good as they could be unless they're joined together. Okay? Right? Like, you can have, you can have a relationship with God, and it will be amazing without community, but it will never be what it could be with community. You can have community without God, and it could be amazing, but it will never be as good as it could be without God. There's a direct correlation. They work off of each other. The church for its inception, or since its inception, has always been um, an advocate for what is right. So, so when the world says we should go this direction, and the church says we should go this direction, it's typically, typically because this is truth, right? Moral truth, and this is subjective truth. And so when, when, as the world drifts more and more and more to these um, more isolated, more individualistic, we as a church have to be willing to stand up and say, no, 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 that's not what God created us to be. We were created to do life together. Since the very beginning, Pastor Dustin read last week in Genesis, God creates everything, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. And the first time he acknowledges something isn't good is when he looks at Adam, and he sees that Adam is alone. He says, wait a minute, this is actually not good. It's not good for you to be alone. Let me create you a helper. We were made to be in community. Did some research around it, uh, and I was taken down this rabbit hole. Uh, statistics around loneliness in the world today. There was a research or survey done by Harvard University around this idea of loneliness, and 36% of respondents reported feeling lonely frequently, almost all the time, or all the time. 
Over a third of the people surveyed says that they have at least experienced some degree of loneliness in their life, which is ironic considering that we are more connected to each other, at least from a technological perspective, than we've ever been before. We spend a significant amount of time texting or FaceTiming or Snapchatting or, or whatever it else you guys do to communicate, yet we find ourselves more lonely now than we've ever been. 2020 didn't help the matters, right? Like that kind of taught us, uh, and, and <laughs> I think it was a tool that Satan used to, to, to create some isolation, but we find ourselves more lonely today than perhaps we were yesterday. If you drill down deeper into this, and I think this is incredibly interesting, is that 61% of those ages 18 through 25 reported some form of loneliness. So, so in a world where we are more technologically connected, the generation that's the most technologically collect, collect, or connected that has their phone in front of them all the time, and maybe I'm a part of this generation, I don't know, like, like they report, well, certainly not the 18 to 25. Like that, <laughs> that, that ship has sailed. Um, but but like they, they report some level of loneliness. You drill down even deeper than that, and that's, this is fascinating. In young adults, the CDC reports that 63%, 63% of those who say they were lonely suffer from significant symptoms of anxiety and depression. One scholar, researcher, educator said that um, loneliness in America today specifically is an epidemic a word we've heard a lot of. So what is it that we as the church are supposed to do? How do we fight against it, right? We have a task, we have a call. If God says that we're created to be in community, how do we do it? And if we're not successful, the question that I want to answer today is why? Why can't we seem to get momentum? Is there something culturally that's preventing us? Is there something like, specific to this church? Is there something maybe that, that, that we're not missing that's causing us to miss out on this opportunity that God has given us? Again, spiritual richness, community. Why? Why aren't we getting there? The reality is, and, and this is, um, <laughs> this is difficult. I'm going to need you to, to commit here real quick. I need everyone's attention. Two seconds. I need you to hang with me here for the next couple of minutes because I'm going to say some things that if you don't allow me to complete the circle, you're going to walk out of here with a misunderstanding of what I believe scriptures say and what I'm trying to communicate. So, so if you can give me 10, 15 minutes, I promise we'll circle back around, okay? But the reality is, community is hard. I'll say it again. Community is hard. If you're a note taker, write that down. Write that in your notes. Community is hard. Because I, I don't want you to get into this thing that I believe God's calling us to do and get six weeks or six months down the road and be like, well, this stinks. My life was way better before. Why in the world am I doing this? You need to understand community is hard. There's no way around it. If you are doing what God is calling us to do and you are stepping into relationships that I believe God is calling us to step into, you need to understand this isn't an easy thing for us to do. It's hard. Why is it hard? So there are, <clears throat> that I know of, two different, um, two different types of ways to hunt. The, the first is, is, as I know it, is spot and stalk, okay? 
which is what we do a lot of here in Wyoming. Uh, this is the type of hunting where you find your animal, you find a target, and then you do everything you can to cut the distance between yourself and the target. And in Wyoming, that means you have to spot something over here and then go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down until you finally get to a place where you have cut the distance to an appropriate amount, spot and stalk. The other type of hunting, and, and this, this is my preference, is the sit and wait. I specialize in the sit and wait. Actually, I'm really good at sitting and waiting. Some of my best naps have been when I have sit or sat and waited. But this type of hunting is where you, find, you put yourself in a strategic position in a tree stand, a blind, against a rock, and you just wait. Now, both can be successful. Both are applicable. But what I have found is the hunters who are most successful hunting are those who spot and stalk. They don't need luck. They don't need the situations to be perfect. They simply go out and get what they're looking for. We talk about community. There are two different ways to go about it. You can sit back and wait. You wait to be approached. Wait for people to connect. Or you can intentionally seek it. You, you could identify your target, define what it is that you're looking for, and then you go get it. That's what Jesus did. Matthew 4, 18 through 19, as he's calling his disciples, says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. He said, come follow me, and I will send you out to be fishers or fish for people. He also, uh, the Gospel of Luke records that there were two other men that were there witnessing this. Uh, it says that James and John, the son of Zebedee, were Simon's partners. They were there. Uh, and Jesus said to Simon, again, do not be afraid, for now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. And he calls Matthew, something very similar. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. So there's three different examples of Jesus calling people, and they're all like different locations. He uses different words, but they all three have something in common. It's that Jesus pursued them. He sought them. The reality of community is that it rarely happens on accident. Rarely. Now, now, it can. It absolutely can. But the community that God is calling us to step into more often than not has to be intentionally sought. You have to make the decision to step into it. You have to pursue community as Jesus did. Jesus pursued community. Now, people came to him, absolutely. And we don't know exactly how the other disciples were called, so maybe some came to him. But, but here in the text, what we're seeing, at least initially, is he went after that community. He identified, he defined it, and he sought it. Community rarely happens on accident. Can, can I just say something? I hate this. This is awkward. There is nothing for me more uncomfortable than pursuing community, at least, at least initially. 
Like, like if I sit back, right, and, and I kind of keep my arms crossed and I wait for community to come to me, then there's no risk, really. In fact, I could, I could even play the victim a little bit and be like, man, no one wants to be with me. No one wants to hang out with me. I can't, I can't get plugged in, right? Like, I, I, it, it, like poor me. And that, that, that's a much better place at least for me to be in than if I step out of my comfort zone and I step into the awkwardness of being like, hey, like, like, like you, wanna, you wanna get together for coffee? Do, do you want to maybe create this small group at our house where we, we just kind of try to do life together? Don't know exactly how it's gonna work, but I know it's something we should do. It's uncomfortable because all, you expose yourself to risk of rejection, the fear of it not working out. Like, it is not an easy place to be. There was a, a pastor friend of mine who, who used to not be a pastor friend of mine um, that I just saw from a distance um, in a non-creepy way, of course. Um, but I just, like, I admired his ministry. Like, I just was in awe of how he communicated and how he developed things. And I was just like, like, he has stuff that I could learn. But we never really had any interaction. In fact, he didn't know who I was from Adam. Walked up to him one day in the awkwardness, and said, hey, I, I really could use some help with some areas. Would you be willing to meet with me? <laughs> and he didn't say no, thank goodness. And we met. And a relationship started. Like, he, he began to pour into me in ways that no one else had ever had. Now, that wouldn't have happened on accident. I had to pursue it. Community is something that we are called to pursue. And if the pursuit of community is all we had, right, if that was the only obstacle that we had to overcome, then I think, like, that's, that's not that big of a deal. But, but it actually kind of gets worse and more difficult. Let me explain. Luke 22, 39 through 46 says this. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciple followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Real community, the community that, that God is calling us to, not, not superficial, not surface level, not fake, not, but, but like real deep community that you intentionally seek after is one that, that requires some amount of vulnerability. Jesus is, is, is praying so hard, he's sweating blood. He's broken and he is afraid. It would have been really easy for him to, to, to go off on his own, right? Compose himself and then come back to his disciples as if everything was okay, but he doesn't do that. He brings them on or along with him. He says, come and be with me. Like when he is at his most vulnerable, Jesus invites this community to be a part of him. Community requires vulnerability. You, you have to have it. You have to have vulnerability. Now, what, what you'll notice and what you'll, you should note is this doesn't appear to happen overnight. By the time we get to this place in the scripture, Jesus and his disciples had been doing life together for three years. It takes some time. 
Like no one expects for you to just jump into this community or relationship and then just vomit your entire life to them. They will, you'll scare them away. But over time, as the relationships develop, as you cultivate trust, those walls should start coming down. And you begin to do life together, real life. But it requires vulnerability. And as much as I hate intentionally seeking community, I hate being vulnerable more. I would just assume you think everything is okay in my life. I would prefer you think, uh, you would see me and think I have all of my stuff together. I'm not super comfortable with you knowing how much of a mess I am. And, and so we come to gatherings like this, and, and we, we, we put on our, our vest and our, our sweet Kentucky shirt, right? Like, we, we make sure our hair is combed, we say the right words, we do the right things, we act the way we are supposed to act, right? Because, like, it's, I don't want to be vulnerable with you, but, but when, when you get to a smaller circle, those walls have to come down. You have to be willing to work up to a place where you are comfortable enough to say, like, like I know I appear to have this all together, man, I'm a mess. I, I know from the outside my marriage looks great. I, I know from the outside my job looks okay. I know I, know I appear to have everything financially that I need. I, I know that maybe I appear to be healthy, but like, you have to understand, like, I, I, I'm a wreck. Like, I, I'm not okay. It's really hard in a, in a larger setting to, to say you're not okay. And, and maybe it's not appropriate all the time. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But in a smaller setting, when the relationships are there, when you've intentionally sought after this type of community, well, then vulnerability has to follow. Again, if, if um, intentionality or the pursuit of community and vulnerability uh, were the only two things that we had to overcome, then I'd be okay, but it, but it gets worse. I'm really selling this, aren't I? You're excited, right? Community will be messy. I want you to know this. It's hard. You have to work towards it. You need to be vulnerable, and you need to expect that at some point it will be messy. Not, not might be, not could be, will be. If you are doing life the way that Jesus Christ is calling us to do life with real people— who are broken like you are broken, that at some point there's going to be a mess. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be, like, it's not always going to be uh, rainbows and unicorns. It's not supposed to be. There needs to be, there needs to be at least a certain amount of mess in our community. Now, Now, not dysfunction. Don't misunderstand. If it's dysfunctional, then that's an entirely different topic. But messy. Why? Because we're messy. And if we're doing real life and we're being vulnerable, then the odds are is that vulnerability is going to open yourself up to, to maybe exposure to heartache, or, or perhaps your vulnerability creates the heartache. Jesus, um, I think, dealt with this a lot. As he invited these disciples into his life, 
There were multiple times where, where I, I believe wholeheartedly he, he was hurt. They're arguing on the, on, they, they, they have lack of faith on the boat. It had to be hurtful. They wouldn't allow the children to come to him. The text says that he was indignant with his disciples. He was angry. As they were gathered together for their last meal, moments before he was going to be arrested and crucified, you know what his disciples were doing? Arguing about who was the greatest. It's messy. And, and it gets worse. Like Peter, the guy that, that, that was always quick to speak, right? Like, I, I, I love Peter. I love the way he just, he lets his heart lead. He told Jesus, like, I, I, I'm going to be with you to the end. Like, I, I will never, ever turn my back on you. Luke chapter 20, verses 60 through 62, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus had been arrested. And the moment, the moment that Jesus needed Peter the most, this is what he says. Who? Jesus, who? You got the wrong guy. Luke records that just as Jesus, uh, just as he was speaking, so Peter, the rooster crowed, verse 61, this cuts me like a knife. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter was heartbroken, but I think you have to at least assume that Jesus was as well. He knew it was going to happen. But just because you know your kids are going to do something doesn't make it any easier when they actually do it. His heart was broken. What about Judas? Judas was called by Jesus. It says in the text, like, he, he, he called him specifically. Now, we, we could talk about the um, God's plan, right, this divine purpose that this had to happen, but, but Judas had a choice. He had free will. God's all-sovereign. He's all-powerful, but, but free will exists. Luke twenty-two forty-seven through 48, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. A guy he had done life with. A guy that he had, he had poured into, that he had ate with, that he had traveled with, probably had cried with, that he had, that he had taught. He was leading the mob to arrest Jesus, and he approached Jesus, the text says, to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, and, and, and hear the, the hurt, I think, in, in this, this verse. Judas, are, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. Two of the twelve. In, in, in the moment, like when, when things were the most uncertain, they, they left. They broke his heart. They created mess. The reality, church, and you have to hear this, is that if you are doing life the way that we are supposed to do life, then you intentionally seek it, you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and you expect a little bit of mess in that relationship. But what I love about this, what I love about the text, is Jesus knew, and he did it anyway. He knew what Peter was going to do long before Peter did it, and he called him. He knew what, Ju what Judas was going to do long before Judas did it, and he called him. He knew that his disciples would argue about who was the greatest, that they wouldn't get it uh, really until the very end. He knew all of that, but he called him anyway. 
He was willing to deal with the mess because it was worth it, because that, that, that's who he was called to be. That's we as humans, we are meant to do this together. We are meant, we are meant to be in community. Which then begs the question, huh, why would anyone in their right mind subject themselves to this type of torture or torment? Like, like if, if, if you're telling me that this thing that God is calling us to do requires work, I'm already uh, on the fence about what, if I want to do it or not, but then you tell me I have to be vulnerable, I'm like, oof, it's getting really awkward, and then it's going to be messy, I'm like, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I'm good. Why? Why do we do it? The obvious answer, I think, is, well, it's, it's how Jesus lived. WWJD, Right? The bracelets? What would Jesus do? Jesus would, would live life in community. I'm really good at following Jesus uh, in the easy stuff. I'm not so good when it inconveniences me. But he says, he says follow me. You want to know how you live in a broken world? I'm going to show you. You want to know how you survive the, the pressures of the world? Let me teach you how to do it. Part of that's community. And if that's not enough, which I think it should be, if it's not enough that Jesus told us to do it, that he modeled for us to do it, and you still get to a place like, well, why in the world would I want to do this? I want you to walk away with this. The world has no idea what it means to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. No idea. They're clueless. We as a church, as a whole, I think we understand we understand the, the pressures of picking up our cross. But that, for the most part, is where it stops. Your people, your community, they not only, not only know what it requires for you to pick up your cross, they know what it looks like to carry it in your context. They, they know what it's like to carry your cross into your workplace. They know what it's like to carry your cross into your marriage, into your family, into your financial situation. They know the burden that you have when you carry your cross, when you're physically ill, emotionally broken. Like your people that you're doing life with, that you intentionally pursued, that you've allowed yourself to be vulnerable with, that you've created some mess and you've survived it and you've grown closer through it. Those people know exactly what you're going through when you carry your cross into your context. And there's something about that that this world can't replicate. There is a direct correlation between spiritual richness and community. There's a direct correlation in the potential of your faith and community. You can have one without the other, but you won't realize their full potential until they meet, until they revolve around your relationship with Jesus. Individually, you guys are, you're amazing. You should know that. Like, I, I love you. That might seem awkward for me to say, but you need to know, I, I genuinely do love you. Individually, you guys have unique giftings and talents and callings. You, you fit the body just perfectly. But collectively, 
you're going to change the world. And the weight of changing the world in a world that's going to constantly push against you, the weight of that is going to get tough. And you have your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you should absolutely lean on that. If that's all you had, you would be okay. But there are going to be times when the weight of that cross is going to be exhausting, and you're going to be tempted to lay it down and go with the flow of society. In those moments, as you're changing the world, that's when your people come alongside you and say, nope, Aaron, you're not putting it down here. Let's go together. It comes from community. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for just the privilege and opportunity that we have to gather together. I thank you for for creating us uh, to be people of community, that that we don't have to exist in isolation. And so, Lord, help us as a church. Help Help us seek out intentionally relationships that revolve around you. Help us grow closer in our faith through our relationships with our brothers and sisters. Give us the confidence to maybe step into the awkwardness Give us the, the endurance or maybe even the, the ability to, to be vulnerable. And then, and then when things get messy because, you know, we're messy people, God, give us the perseverance to not walk away. Father, grow this ministry. Grow this ministry through the communities that you're creating. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one.